This is On Second Thought from GPB. I'm Virginia Prescott. Ocean Vung dazzled the literary world with his first collection of poetry, and his debut novel, On Earth We Are Briefly Gorgeous, was one of this year's most anticipated. It's written in the form of a letter from a character named Little Dog to his mother, a mother who can't read. Little Dog is small, half Vietnamese, and severely bullied by his schoolmates and physically abused by his PTSD adult mother at home. He finds temporary relief in drugs and a teenage love affair and reckons with violence, loss, and belonging in the gorgeously crafted language of this novel. Ocean Vung is part of the MailChimp track of emerging authors at the AJC Decatur Book Festival. He'll be there on Sunday, September 1st. I spoke with him from New England Public Radio and asked him to read a bit from the book about why Little Dog's grandmother, Lan, gave him that name when he was born back in Vietnam. As you know, in the village where Lan grew up, a child, often the smallest or weakest of the flock, as I was, is named after the most despicable things. Demon, ghost child, pig snout, monkey born, buffalo head, bastard, little dog being the more tender one. Because evil spirits, roaming the land for healthy, beautiful children, would hear the name of something hideous and ghastly being called in for supper and pass over the house, sparing the child. To love something, then, is to name it after something so worthless it might be left untouched and alive. A name, thin as air, can also be a shield, a little dog shield. There is so much packed in that little paragraph about culture and power and notions of love and language and, and what a name right. carries. Is, is his name a shield? I think so. I mean, that's the intention. And I think, you know, particularly who names him? It's these women who have really nothing left to their name after being survivors of war, but they have the richness of the agency of language. And they decide to begin the life of this child is by protecting him with words and thin as air and yet palpable because they have to beckon that image and that name around him every time they call his name. Well, his grandmother's name is Lan that you mentioned. His mother's name, the novel is written to Ma. She's named Hong by her mother, Rose in English, Julie at the nail salons where she works. Mm -hmm. is, is that part of the immigrant experience, these different identities? Is that what you're doing there? Yeah, moving through, being chameleons. And I think this book attempts to enact that very act of being a chameleon. It moves through different voices, different perspectives. There's first person, third person. It even collapses into poetry. And I think I wanted to take that on as a method of strength for literature. Often in fiction, we want cohesion. We want uninterrupted fluidity, a character uh, to be consistent. But I wanted this book to actually make itself out of fracture, to be broken as a way of going forward towards unity, just like poems. Yeah, well, you are a poet and a well-prized poet for your first collection of poetry, which was, you know, like unprecedentedly successful. I think it's about two-thirds of the way into the book. There is a series of chapters that are all in poems. Does that sort of reveal the limits of writing prose for you? I think I turned to prose because poetry was letting me off the hook too easily. I've been writing poetry for 10 years. Like you said, I wrote this 
first collection of poems, and I got too good at getting out of the poem when the heat was getting hit high. What do you mean by and, that? Well, you know, the, the, the scary questions come, and then I got too good. I, that doesn't mean the poem is successful, but I got good at getting out. Hmm. I found the, the side door of the poem, and I kept using it. And I thought, you know, if I'm an artist worth of my salt, I have to challenge myself, and the novel would not let me turn away. I had to tend to these characters' bodies day in and day out. I had to follow them. I had to put them through the world, put them into and out of weather, danger, and safety, and allow them to find joy on their own terms on American soil, which was something that is a larger question, a perennial question of mine. How do we live as Americans when we come out of a violent history? Hmm. How do we be honest with that while still caring and tending for each other towards a future worth living? And one way to do that for Little Dog is to utter it. Often we think the future is in our hands, but Little Dog would say it's in his mouth, it's in our mouths. We have to speak the world we want to live in. But that begins with looking back at what we've done to each other. Well, a part of this is the way that his ma has moved through the world and his grandmother, Lan, have moved through the world, both of them in Vietnam. Lan leaves an arranged marriage with a man three times her age and becomes a a sex worker for the Mm -hmm. GIs, American GIs. Mm -hmm. And we learn that his ma, she leaves school at seven years old when her school is napalmed and she never goes back. Mm-hmm. So she never learns to read. And part of that power of language, of saying the future, of saying the words, is that he can read. He starts to learn to read at school and he tries to teach his mother what, what happens there. The hierarchies are reversed and then they fall apart. He tries to teach her the way his ESL teacher taught him. But for a son to teach a mother, it reversed this very tenuous hierarchy that they had, the only thing they had to identify each other as mother and son. And she couldn't have it. It was too rough. It was too disorienting. And she rather remain illiterate in order to remain his mother in the traditional terms. And it was this very fraught moment for them that they come close and then they come further away as a result of it, which I think is what relationships with our parents are. We don't choose each other. We come out of the womb, and there it is, and it's a bond that has to be negotiated for life. And sometimes personalities are at odds. Sometimes our parents have wounds that they have intended to, but then they, ke- they have to tend for us. They care for us. And I think it's something that I wanted the book to play out, that regardless of who we are, love is about accepting and understanding where we've come from and not trying to change each other. But we do see her rage. We see her past come out. She slaps him many times. She throws a box of Legos, a gallon of milk at his head. But this is not the image of a one-dimensional, rageful abuser. Little Dog sees something else. He sees, what, what does he say, the war inside of her? How does he come to recognize the devastating hurt below her, her violence? He starts to see that he's not that different from her. He realizes that violence is in the legacy of the bodies of the 20 and 21st century, that all wars happen on both borders that men, when they go to Vietnam to fight in American men, they come back and they have PTSD. And Trevor's grandfather fought in Korea. His uncle fought in Vietnam. 
And to top that all off, there's toxic masculinity that they're negotiating. And I think he realized that him and his mother are not too far away, that they both come from this wounded past that lives in their genetics. We're talking with Ocean Vung about his debut novel, On Earth, We're Briefly Gorgeous. He is one of the emerging writers that is going to be highlighted at the AJC Decatur Book Festival on Sunday, September the 1st. I'm glad you brought up men because mostly we spend a lot of time of Little Dog interpreting the world for these two women, his mother and his grandmother. But there is a lot about masculinity here. There's a a scene uh, when Little Dog's a little kid on the bus and, and he gets slapped by a bully. And this kid, you know, calls him names and he observes he'd already mastered the dialect of their damaged fathers. And this is in Little Dog's lineage as well. His grandfather was a GI. Trevor, the boy he loves, his father was a veteran, as you mentioned, calls Little Dog China Boy. So the the legacy of the war is living in all of them in some kind of way. Yes. How does that how does that stamp their experience? I think it stamps American life, American history, even the way we talk about our history, pre-war, antebellum, post-World War I, after Korea, before Vietnam. Our lives in this country is measured by violence and geopolitical rupture. And it is no wonder then that our specific bodies are inescapable from that history. We think it's all only political, on large stage, on TV, but when we go home, the war follows us into the bedroom. It follows us at work. It inflects and it charges every interaction. And I think what I wanted to show in this novel, which is what I felt growing up in New England, was that in this crowded old place, this this northeast, all of these communities have lived and thrived for so long, and they're all bounded by war. And they're not that far apart. Some communities are segregated, but you cross the river and you're in an entirely different world, bounded by the same history. These people are all part of American foreign policy. Ultimately, that's what I wanted to unite these characters towards, that their history, they think they vote differently, they think they have different desires and ambitions, but in fact, they're bounded by American violence and they can't escape it, even if they try to. There is so much violence in the book, but there's also great tenderness. You know, there's yes. undoubtable. I don't see the the villain here, I guess is what mm-hmm. I'm thinking. It's a great observation. But I think there's also so much about class. I mean, they exist in the dollar stores, the, the corner store where Ma buys her Marlboro Reds and Hot Cheetos, and the nail yeah. salons where so many Vietnamese work. One of the things that Little Dog observes is that sorry is the most common word used among Vietnamese in America. Why this word? Why? How does that play out? You know, it's, I, I love writing about that session because it's a moment where you think Vietnamese nail laborers have no power. They rarely have citizenship. They're usually working on green cards. They're paid under the table. But in fact, when they're in that space that nail salon becomes a language lab. They're changing the language in order to feed themselves. And so they use the word sorry in order to build rapport 
with their clients so that they can get the ultimate prize, a tip, hmm. five, six, seven dollars. What happens though, the cost of that, as Little Dog observes, is that the word sorry, the actual apology, becomes meaningless. When the language translates and transfers and transforms to a different definition, a definition towards pandering and towards visibility, towards earning an income, a living, you lose your sorry, you lose your apology. And then so now how do you say sorry to each other? And I think that moment is actually the growth of the English language. It's a mapping of language in this language lab where these women and men working in the nail salons are inventing different meanings for the English language on their own terms. English is your second language, right? Yeah. So this is yeah. this was a lab for you. I, I don't know how much of this is based on your own life, if your mother worked in nail salons when you were growing up. Yeah, the context of the book... I would say if the book is a house, the foundation is based on truth. The context of Hartford, Vietnamese nail salon workers, tobacco farms, that's all part of my experience. The action and what they do is part of the imagination. But yeah, I grew up in nail salons. I grew up observing, you know, this place of beauty and and, and power, but also this place where children are raised. To me, it's actually incredibly American to have a culture built out of labor. It's no different than the coal mines, the railroads, the peach orchards. All of this is built on the backs of people working to sustain themselves and often breaking themselves to sustain their children. And it's a legacy of inheritance and the inheritance of both trauma but also joy. We often talk about epigenetic trauma as a failed, doomed destination. But I hope to reveal in this book that as much as there's epigenetic trauma, there's also epigenetic strength. And you're absolutely right that the women also teach little dog to recognize beauty. Mm. And there's nothing more valuable than beauty when you're an immigrant and a refugee. You learn how important it is. It is not merely decorous. It is a lifeline. To be able to recognize it in the world can be a bomb that rescues you from one day into another. You have found so much beauty in language. I mean, the writing is so rich, the observations so spot on. And there are bits of Vietnamese in this book and in your poetry. Mm -hmm. Do you ever write in Vietnamese? I mean, do you think now in English? I've been thinking in English for a long time, mm. probably since I was six or seven Naturally, the the biggest irony of being a first or even second generation children of immigrants is that they propel you forward. They put you on the ship and they say, go, go. They blow wind in your sails, your parents and your community. Say, learn everything you can. And you think you're doing it for all of them, that they're with you. But one day you turn back to see where they are and you realize they're all the way back on that little island, and they're barely visible, and you've gone so far from them, and there's this big loneliness that happens, and you realize the more English I know, the further I go from those who made me. And I tried to learn Vietnamese, to translate Vietnamese a few years ago, and I ultimately decided to stop. I wanted to be a Vietnamese scholar as well as an English one, 
But when I started to talk to my mother and my family, their education, their Vietnamese vocabulary and diction is only about the sixth grade, fifth grade level. And when I started to use words that they didn't understand, I panicked. I said, oh, Lord, this is all we got, and I'm already leaving this behind. Every word I know in Vietnamese, every new word I, I acquire, I'll go further from them. So I said, not now. Maybe later, maybe in the next life. But now this is all we got, and I'm going to stay here. I want my, my Vietnamese to be the one that they know, and I want it to be on one platform, in one footing. Ocean Vung, what a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Virginia. Deep, deep pleasure. Ocean Vung, his debut novel is called On Earth, We're Briefly Gorgeous. He's going to be at the MailChimp track, that's Emerging Writers, at the AJC Decatur Book Festival on Sunday, September the 1st. We're going to leave you with one of the songs that was particularly resonant in the book. This is Ralph Stanley's This Little Light of Mine. On Second Thought is produced by Amelia Brock, LaRaven Taylor, Priya Mahadevan, and Jake Troyer. Jesse Neiswanger is our engineer. Our interns are Allison Kraussman and Jessica Lowell. Don Smith is our dean of grammar. Amy Kiley is senior producer. I'm Virginia Prescott. Thanks so much for listening to On Second Thought.